Hey there, welcome to the Sparkable Moments podcast, where we have conversations to feed the soul. In this show, we explore the human experience using a mix of science and personal stories, random ponderings and deep end of the pool discussions. I'm your hostess, Suzette Conway. I'm a happiness coach and the creator of the Flitter Sphere, which is a community of women intent on crafting our most vibrant lives. This show is part of my mission to raise the world's vibration and consciousness by creating better human experiences to change the world in beautiful and spectacular ways. I'm so glad you're joining me on the journey. Welcome to our very first episode in this special series in this podcast. Everything that I talk about on the Sparkable Moments podcast is about how we flourish and thrive in midlife and how it can serve us to create a midlife shift into what is the next best expression of ourselves, right, in this human experience. And as part of that, I want to talk to people who can offer a real-life perspective on what it means to flourish and how and why they created their own midlife shift. And that is what this special series is all about, because we all need to be inspired by great examples of women living on purpose. Today, I am talking to my good friend, Tracy Loring. She is a fellow conscious creator and a coaching colleague. We met years ago when we worked together in a corporate learning and development department at a cloud computing company. And I knew right away that we were going to be friends. I love her spirit and her perspective on living. um, And I love her perspective on living a creative life. Um, And I know that you will too. Uh, Tracy is uh, a seasoned facilitator and a consultant and a certified Expanding Possibilities executive coach. She has over 25 years of experience in talent management, learning and development, team leadership, consulting, facilitation, and coaching. In addition to being a personal and executive coach, Tracy specializes in working with leadership teams to transform the way they operate. She's also an artist and resides with her husband and her daughter in New York State. You can learn more about Tracy and connect with her at tracyloring.com. In the show notes, I'll share some links to her podcast, Creative Musings, and to her YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook channels, so you have plenty of ways to reach her, and I promise you will want to. (laughs) So thank you, Tracy, so much for joining me today. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's exciting. I'm so thrilled that for our inaugural show for this uh, special series that it's you. I feel like we have a special connection over podcasting since I've been on your show (laughs) and you helped me get this show started. Um, But mostly just because your warm spirit um, just always fills me up. It fills my spirit up. So I'm glad you're here. Oh, thank you. The feeling is mutual for sure. Oh, thank you. Okay. So before we dive in, you know me, I have a list of questions for us and we'll see where the conversation (laughs) takes us. But before we, we get to that, I always want to start by anchoring to the theme of the show. And for us, that's all about flourishing. So I want to know, what does it mean to you to flourish and thrive in this human experience that you get to live? Mm. So flourishing for me and bear with me, I'm, I've got a cold. So if I'm extra husky today, (laughs) this isn't how I always sound for better. It's very sexy. (laughs) (laughs) Again, I can't promise this in the future, but um, yeah. So flourishing, flourishing. It's such a great word. To me, it's about living life to its fullest, right? In all aspects of it. So flourishing means tapping into my creative potential. It means sharing my truth in the world, living my purpose, my true nature and spirit, if you will. And doing it in a way that, that feels 
true and effortless. It just sort of comes from me without having to think about, oh, okay, how can I take a step back and construct the 13 different ways I can contribute in the world, right? Uh, It's much more effortless, organic, and uh, in flow. I love that. I love um, when you talk about true and effortless, to me, that feels like the very definition of authentic, right? Mm. Like just Mm. living authentically is what makes it so effortless. And it's just Mm. a natural expression of yourself. That's, that's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Do you feel like you're living that kind of life these days? Oh, I do. I really do. And in a, in a ways that I didn't expect, like, you know, in preparation for our podcast, I, I did think a little bit on, on some of these questions. And I thought back about my life. And there was a time in my life when I was growing up, probably until my mid-20s, where I would definitely say I was flourishing in my life. I was, things were effortless. I was going through life sort of from thing one thing to another and the way that things drew me. And I felt like I was true to myself and exploring, you know, especially in my early twenties, it was all about exploration and learning and testing and trying new things. And then sort of, I had this kind of lull, if you will, you know, life, I got older, different things sort of went on in my life. And I don't, I don't know. I just sort of felt like I, I started to get stuck and it, I wasn't, I wasn't flourishing for a while. And that's really what caused me to take a step back and start to ask myself some questions about, is this really the life that I want? And I can go into more detail on that uh, if you like in a minute. But in, you know, once I started to look at things a little bit more closely and make some shifts in my life, I got back to that place of knowing that I'm living my truth, you know, and really tapping into who I am and, and what that did is it opened it up and made it easier to share with others because part of what is true for me is to share my spirit with the world. And, um, for a while there, it felt like work to do that. And most likely in hindsight, it's because I was doing it in a way that wasn't authentic. And, uh, now I am. And so it just sort of comes out of me <laughs> and, uh, yeah, allows me to, it's, it's almost like I've been using a lot of planting analogies lately. We just bought a house recently with a beautiful garden. I'm learning about gardening in more depth. And so I've been using a lot of this analogy lately, but it, it's like my roots got freed. You know, when you buy a plant at, at the nursery and it's root bound, it's been stuck in that pot. And it, it's growing, but it, it can't really expand in the way that it would love. And you pull it out of the pot and you kind of claw at the roots a little bit and you give them space and then you plant it in the ground. It has a chance to flourish. That's kind of how I feel in my life right now. Like I was root bound for a while and still growing, still contributing all those things, relatively happy, but I wasn't flourishing and, you know, digging, doing the work digging into the roots, pulling it out, teasing out what was holding me back and getting rid of that sucky container that didn't Mm -hmm. serve me anymore um, is is putting me in a position now where I I am flourishing. 
I love that analogy of being root bound. Like when you buy those plants that are already started for you, so they're harder to kill, right? Yeah. It, just, it makes me, yeah, right. Those are the kind I need. Uh-huh. <laughs> it makes me think too, that one of the elements of that analogy, if I might add to it is um, this notion that when you're not root bound anymore, like when you're loosened up, you, um, and you have more space to grow in, you better nourish yourself. Like you can take in the nourishment that you need in a way that you can't when you're in a tight container, when you hold yourself too tightly. Right. And, um, and I just, gosh, I love that analogy. It gives me goosebumps. And I think it speaks so well to what you talk about, like in your twenties, I feel the same way about when I was in my twenties, I always say I had this, what what felt like a charmed life to me, like everything just worked. I would be broke one minute and then get a rebate on something the next minute. And I would, you know, need something and it would just show up in my life. And everything just sort of had this bit of flow to it. That was um, not necessarily always easy, but that it was always in service of what I needed, if that makes sense. Like the, I felt like the universe was conspiring with me. And, um, and I know that for when me, when I hit midlife, I, I looked back and all I could think was, holy crap, where did that go? Like, where yeah. is that woman? Yeah. And where is that energy? And when did I lose her? And how do I get her back? Right. Yeah. And I couldn't define it. I didn't, I certainly wasn't as eloquent as you in talking about that. Um, but I knew that there was a, a time in my life when things were different and midlife had shifted me somehow. And the best thing I could figure out was that it was like the responsibilities of being an adult, right? You have Mm. a mortgage and a job and a career and you're moving up and that, and your focus is for me, it became all about proving myself. Am I good enough to be in my career? Am I building, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like sort of authority and influence and that kind of stuff. And I was really in my ego around that stuff. I wasn't living authentically, not fully, right? And it disconnected me from my spirit. And it took me a long time to realize that was the difference. In my 20s, I was still young enough to be connected to my spirit just naturally Mm -hmm. and just kind of flowed and did what I wanted to do. And I had the room to do that socially, if you will, because I didn't have any big responsibilities. Um, And that got harder as life went on. And I just... Yeah, I love your analogy. It's like it's like somehow I went from being unbound in my 20s to rebound. It's like someone put me back in my pot and mm. my roots got kind of constricted again and I wasn't nourishing myself and I couldn't take I couldn't grow from that place. Yeah. You know, I, I've been thinking a lot about this lately, actually, because I it's funny you use the word charmed because I too defined my life that way when I was younger. I was always so grateful for, you know. I, I was really good in a past life because I was living a charmed life. That's how I felt. And I do still in, in, you know, in many ways feel that way. But I've been thinking a lot about what happened to that girl because I too have had those moments where, especially as I've started over the past, you know, six-ish years or whatever, where I've started to dig into things and and claw at those roots a little bit more, I've I've realized that I've started to develop these stories in my head that didn't, I didn't think ever existed before. I was like, where does this come from? Like, where is this coming from? I never used to think this way, or I would tap into and get a truth, you know, about who I was or what I was doing in the world or meant to do. And it would remind me of how I used to define myself. And I would find myself reaching out and talking to people that I was really close to at that time in my life. And they would reflect those things back to me. Like, oh yeah, this is who you are. This is what you're meant to do. And I'm like, yeah, what the hell happened to that? You know, and I've been thinking a lot about it. And it's almost like the theory I'm playing with right now is that, you know, we talk about between the time that we're roughly born and somewhere around five, right? We, We develop 
the bulk of the belief structures that sort of form our lives. And, and I believe that's true. You know, we do develop a bulk of that structure pretty early on. And, you know, my theory that I've been toying with is that a lot of those beliefs are there and they're in there. And as you go through life, little experiences that you have may start to feed those beliefs and they get a little bit stronger and a little bit stronger and a little bit stronger. And they start to take on more of a role in your life than they may have in the past. So it's like, yeah, we create the bulk of our stories between the time that we're zero and five, but we're always creating stories. And I feel like, you know, in my twenties, I started to create new stories so that by the time I was in my thirties and forties, those stories had more power than they did when I was younger, because I was just, whether it was just literal less life experience, you know, I'd live fewer years or if things hadn't quite happened or I hadn't processed it that way. And, you know, something you said really cued in for me as well about where you are in your life at that time, you know, life stages, right? Let's forget age for a minute. Let's just talk about life stages. You know, there's a stage in your life where you're learning, you're growing, you're figuring out who you are. And then there's a stage in your life where you're testing that. Is this who I am? And then you can sort of go into an, and then the next stage in your life, which is, is this all there is? <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah. then, and then there's probably a stage where it's like, okay, yeah, this is, this is what I want to do. Right. Um, and those stages can last your whole life and we may not all get through all of them or they might be really compressed, whatever it is. Our journeys are all different, but I feel like for me, I, I lost sight of all of those things I held to be true because I was having experiences that were tapping into those belief structures and that were feeding them. And I didn't have tools in those moments to counteract them in the same way I do now. So do I have experiences that could feed those stories now? Absolutely. But I also have tools that help me look at them and go, oh, yeah, that's BS. That's just triggering one of your stories. It's bringing up that old dragon, right? So I think it's really interesting. I think back around raising my daughter. I have a three-year-old. And what tools and resources can I support her with now so that as she goes through life, she can more effectively look at those stories and not get root bound. You know, all right. So I want to talk to you about that. There's so much goodness in what you just said, but I feel like I want to pick on that last little bit. So, you know, I have my niece that I'm really close to. I don't have kids of my own, but she's, um, I couldn't love her more if she were my own. And she's 13 now. And I think a lot, have always thought a lot about what you just said. Like, how do I how, how do I infuse her with tools and knowledge and perspectives that serve her? And I have started to believe, <laughs> I don't know what you think about this. I've started to believe it almost doesn't matter what I do, right? That this journey that we're talking about, where there's these phases that you go through, the de- developing your beliefs, I could watch her beliefs coming alive. Like I knew when she was five or six years old, we knew about this stuff already, right? And um, I, I could see her foundational beliefs forming and how that shifted the way she saw the world and showed up in the world. And I was already, I felt like I was desperately trying to infuse her with something that would counteract that, right? And it took me a, a long time to realize, first of all, I'm not sure 
I'm, I'm still going to do it. I'm always going to try to do it. I want her to be well armed, but I'm not sure it totally matters. I feel like she's all, she still is going through all the same phases we did. It's a very human experience, right? And she'll still have to, she'll still see her own stories. Um, uh, you describe them almost like in a cumulative, like a cumulative way, right? They stack mm-hmm. on each other. They get activated at certain times. It's still going to happen to her. And I hope that when it does, she'll remember some of the, um, tools that I left her with, right. That I helped embed in her, but I don't know that they will. And I I wonder sometimes how much of doing that is me trying to spare her pain that I don't have the right to spare her from that. She in fact needs to experience to evolve into her own self, like we have gone through in life. And it's just, I don't know where I'm going with this. It's like the instinct to want to protect and serve the, the young ones with what we know is so automatic. And yet sometimes I think it's almost not useless, but like, it's, I don't know, like, it's just not going to work out the way we think that's going to work out for them. (laughs) Yeah. I, I agree with you a million percent, Suzette. Absolutely. Like I've had this conversation a lot. So being an older mom, I had my daughter when I was 48 years old. So I've had lots of life experience and lots of opportunity to learn different things. And Um, more so than I I would have if I had had her when I was 24, right? I just didn't have the same amount of life experience. Um, And I thought a lot about that, knowing what I know now, you know, um, how can I raise her in a way that supports her, but yet is very real and automatic. Like I know she's going to create stories. It's inevitable. And I know that as much as I want to prevent her from creating this sort of story or that sort of story, her little mind is going to make up whatever story she wants based on her experience and the path that her spirit wants her to live. Right. So I, I know I can't spare her. I know I can't, um, protect her from that, nor would I want to, it robs her of her experience Mm -hmm. as a human. And you know, that that's not what I want for her as well. And so the, the path that I've chosen to take with it has been more about, helping her know, well, first of all, modeling, right? Yeah. And then sort of talking through with her, here's what I'm doing. So she can see how I do things, how I deal with grief, how I deal with pain, how I deal with frustration, how I deal with different things um, and share with her some of the techniques that I learn Um, as I do it. She's going to observe me. Mm-hmm. and learn anyway, right? Yeah. No matter so, what you do, she's observing No matter it. what I do, mm-hmm. if I choose to never intentionally teach her a single thing, I will always be teaching her because she's going to look at and model mm-hmm. what she sees. And yeah. so the, the approach I've taken with it has been, you know, how can I be the best version of me so I can be the best model for her? You know, I love that. Yeah, I love that because it's so true. It's like, you you know, you think about it. It's like, I can't stop her from going through those experiences, my niece, mm-hmm. any more than you can stop your daughter from going through it. But we can maybe arm them with perspectives, right? Like, like I guess the biggest skill is things like self-reflection and self-awareness. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, I'm always talking about like these skills that the tools that we use um, in our coaching work and with our own lives about shifting the energy that we have, right, to a different space so that we can act from there intentionally and respond rather than react from our egoic triggers, right? Like those kinds of skills, I think presuppose the notion that I I don't need to 
remove her egoic triggers. I don't need to try to, to stop her from having them. It's about teaching her how to see them at work in her life and not make them mean anything about herself and then yeah. choose how to respond intentionally from a space that she can put herself into, if that makes sense, a higher energy space. Absolutely. Um, yeah. 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 I think you see, yeah, it's, it, you're right. It is. It's not so much about removing the experience. It's about teaching her some skills for how to process through it. Yeah. And, you know, and like I said, my daughter's three, right? So we're not having deep, in-depth conversations <laughs> about her ego and, you know, da, 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 da. she's still in the middle of forming all that stuff. Our focus really, if there's anything that I've been actively teaching her has been more about self-regulation and using mm-hmm. her body. So at, at this point in her life, she's a toddler. So she struggles with self-regulation and because of who she is as her unique person, uh, she might struggle more than others with that. And so, you know, the things that, that we've been focusing on are, are breathing, mm. wiggling her toes, you know, taking a deep breath and counting to four, as Daniel Tiger likes to say. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, Daniel Tiger, love him. And um, that sort of a thing, right? You know, uh, Santa is going to bring her, she doesn't know this, of course, Santa is going to bring her a Peppa Pig yoga book. Mm. for Christmas. So we're going to start doing yoga together and those sorts of things, right? So those are things that I can help her get in touch with, especially her connection with her body is something that will serve her in every aspect of her life throughout all of her life. And so that's something I'm really excited to, to help her develop. And her father and I have talked about potentially, you know, some martial arts for her in the near future. And turns out there's a, a really great place right around the corner from where we live that that's pretty well uh, established uh, for that. And they have a youth program that starts at age four. So I love that. So my niece is older, but I, I remember starting really young trying to, again, we're not having serious conversations, but I was trying to teach her to breathe. Right. Yeah. And she would go and, and, and I'll teach her like to try to meditate and breathe and quiet her mind and sit still. And there's moments where she thinks that I'm nuts. And then there's moments where she will try and do it. And I can see her trying to apply it, which just lights my heart up. And then she goes off to, and like, she'll completely drop it, but she'll come back from school and they've taught her some breathing technique in school. I'm like, I taught you that three years ago. I want full credit for this. <laughs> And so it's it's funny because what, what comes of it, like we joke all the time about it. Like I can't, I don't even know how old she was when I first talked to her about your fight or flight response. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and how you have to manage that in order to reactivate your executive functions and make good decisions. Like I'm sure I'm turning her into a giant like spiritual geek at this point. But it um, it is, um, oh, I forgot where I was going with that. Embodiment. About embodiment and um Oh, I'm sorry. This is where I was going. What I hope it does for her is normalize these things Mm. for her. I want like, you know, you talk about how teaching your little one, how to express herself and regulate her emotions and to model you feeling your emotions and not suppressing them. So whether it's feeling your emotions and processing through them or deep breathing or yoga or all these other things, to me, I think one of the most powerful things about it is that it normalizes it. And it, and it's something that's just, they'll, they'll just grow up knowing that's part of how you can be as a human being, but it also shows them what it is that you're human, right? That yeah. I'm human, that we yeah. go through these things. There isn't any need to stuff that part of us down. And I think that's super important because we need our human side and our spiritual side, and they need to see examples of people in their crap and in their spirit. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. you know, one of the things I think a lot about with her is she's 
she's female, right? Whether or not mm-hmm. she identifies that way, I won't know yet. But, um, you know, that, that, that was her sex at birth. And so I think a lot about the way we raise females in our culture and our society. And so I don't discourage her from getting angry or expressing mm-hmm. her anger. We talk about how best to channel that, yeah. you know, um, and her, her father and I talk a lot about language that we use with her and things like that. You know, I would, I would love to break the cycle yeah. of, of some of the messages that I know I heard a lot when I was growing up and that I hear society say, and, you know, I know that she's still going to get exposed to those messages at school and out in the world and all, all sorts of those things. And absolutely. And like you said earlier, you know, my hope is that when the time comes in the moment, her intuitive soup will pull what it needs to Mm -hmm. serve her in that moment. And that in addition to all those other messages in there are some of those things that she heard from mom and dad. It's like going back to your gardening metaphor, right? It's you're planting seeds. And I think that that's so critical to be aware. She's so lucky to have you, right? That you're aware of that enough that you are doing that heavy gardening with her in these early first five or six years, because that is where the stories are being formed. So while she's forming the stories of I'm not good enough or no one loves me, could she also be forming in these moments, the stories of, but I have the tools I need and it's okay to be fully me and express my anger. You know what I mean? Like it just, yeah. there, she will get it from other places. Stories are not only cumulative and deeply rooted, they're social, right? We, we create them. Yeah, from our engagement with other people, she will get them. But there is a window we have until they're about seven, I think, when you are their primary influence on them. And gosh, Mm. imagine what you're sowing in her, you know, what Mm. you're planting seeds for. Mm. Yeah, I think that's the extent of my gardening metaphor. I know. (laughs) Your gardening (laughs) metaphor. More will come. More will come, I'm sure. More will come. (laughs) Okay, so let me ask you this. So we talked, there was so much stuff we covered earlier on, and you had this. um, I have to go back and edit it and see what I can pull out. And maybe we can have a second conversation about this, but I want to dig into, we're talking about, you know, your twenties versus now and midlife and what you think of as flourishing. And, and um, I want to dig into from your perspective of midlife. Now, what do you think you are meant for? And how does that show up in your life in a way that helps you flourish? Mm. When you say what I'm meant for, do you mean like purpose in life? Tell me more what you're, what you're asking. I think a little bit purpose in life, but I think sometimes too, when I think of meant for, you know, you mentioned, we talk about things like, um, I'm meant for more. There's something more than this. Right. And, and so it's like, well, what is it you think you're meant for? What are you here for? So yes, a purpose. I'm not one who thinks we have like a single purpose. I think we have lots of purposes. So yes, let's talk about your purpose, but just in the sense of why, why do you exist at a grander level? Like, what are you Mm. here to be? Mm. It's, uh, it's interesting because I was thinking about this uh, recently as well. I remember growing up, you know, one of the common questions everyone get, most people get asked when they're growing up is, what do you want to be when you grow up, right? Everybody likes to ask kids that. And I remember probably until I was maybe in junior high, the one thing that it wasn't the answer to what I wanted to be, it's what I saw myself being. And it was a teacher. And, and then I wanted to be a doctor and all sorts of stuff and other things took over. But it, you know, when I think back, that's the thing that just always felt true to me. And I never pursued teaching in the academic educational sense. What ended up happening was 
my career just sort of followed that path naturally. I was good at it. And I ended up in situations where I just started teaching and I started teaching art and then ended up in corporate and doing training and all of these different things. And, and now what teaching looks like for me is sharing stories through podcasts like yours and the one I have through the work I do with leaders and helping them unlock their potential and see what gets in their way through the work I do with my coaching clients, you know, helping them live the lives that they would love. And it, it all comes back down to, to that sort of element of, of teaching. And, you know, I've spent time in my personal journey looking at what my purpose is in life. And I've spent time with my business looking at what my business purposes and it all comes down to inspiring joy in the world and inspiring people to live their truth and you know I come back to yeah that's kind of what it is to be a teacher in a lot of ways yeah so I kind of feel like I had a sense early on about what that was but it's it's when I strayed from that or when I was forcing it to look a certain way that I didn't feel like it was where I was meant to be. Okay. So we're going to put a pin in that because that is going to anchor us to the next question. Cause that's, I, that's where we're going, but I think it's a perfect example, but I want to, I want to just pause and, and share too that you're not alone in that. Right. Like I had a similar experience. I wanted to be a teacher when I was a kid. I think all little girls did. It was what mm-hmm. we were teachers, nurses, whatever, typically feminine careers, but, but I wanted to be a teacher and I always, and I ended up, that's how we know each other from our learning and development days in corporate America. And I used to think that, um, well, I still think this, most people who end up in that kind of a job, I always say were accidental uh, learning and development pros, accidental instructional, you just happen into it. It's not, it's not a job that when you're in high school, they go, did you know that you can be an instructional designer or a learning program manager? Like it's, you know, it's not like that. Right. But you have a natural instinct and a calling towards, um, helping people and towards, um, and, and there's an expression of skills, I think in really good people, people who are really good in these spaces, like coaching and training of compassion and connection and, um, sort of an expansiveness and openness to like letting things come in and see what happens with them. And I think there's parts of that that show up in you as well. And I know they did for me, but like where you were going with this was, it wasn't enough. Like I woke up one day and, and realized I, everything was fine on paper, but I wasn't really happy. And I didn't know why. And I, I felt like I had this sort of shadow career. Like I was expressing my gifts, right? You were talking about that. You knew from a very young age, these gifts were going to, they were in you and they showed up in a really natural way in those professions. And now they show up differently, but they're still those same gifts. And, and for me, it was like the, my gifts were being used in a way that was possible for them to be used but wasn't the most inspired way for them to be used if that makes sense Mm. and um and so I felt like I had this shadow life where it's like yeah I'm doing what feels right to me I guess right like again is this all there is there must be something more than this and I knew there there was just a point where I knew in my own journey and my own story that something had to change and I didn't know what it was or what it looked like or or might be or how it would evolve but I knew I don't know how to say it. It's like, there's, there's, a, it's amazing what we humans will tolerate, how long we will tolerate the intolerable because it's not quite painful enough. 
right? Mm. So I sat in the space of not being fully expressed in my corporate career for a long time because it wasn't totally bad and it wasn't completely off track for how my spirit might want to be expressed in the world. It just wasn't aligned as well as it could have been. And so when I think about your story, I see some of those same telltale signs, right? Like I know personally, because we've been friends with some of your, your changes have been in your life. And, and I wonder if you would be willing to, to speak into that a little bit and talk about what you shifted in your life, how you went from being in that corporate space, being not a mom, being, you know, all these things to where you are today and what, just kind of talk about your story. What prompted that shift? How did you know you needed it? And what did you do as, how did your shift show up? Yeah. So for me, um, you know, I had gone along in my life. I'd been successful. I, at the point where this shift was sort of coming to a, a peak, a transition point, I was married, happily married, um, found someone that I never thought I would find, had the kind of relationship I didn't think could exist. Like I hated romantic comedies because I thought they were just BS, right? That doesn't really exist. Um, well, it turns out it's possible. And I, I found the person um, that was the right fit for me. Had a beautiful house, made great money, at a job with people that I really liked. And um, every day I would get up and get in the car and go to work and was nauseous on my way to work. And it, it just, it wasn't working, you know, it wasn't working for me. And it was primarily related to my job. You know, other aspects of my life were on track and it, it just work wasn't working. And there was an aspect of it that tapped into what wasn't working, wasn't the duties I had for the company I worked for. It's that I had somehow lost alignment with myself. And so for me, what the big trigger was, was two things. One, it was, again, going back to embodiment, it showed up in my body, physically, you know, not wanting to, to go to work. The second thing, though, that really was the litmus test for me was something my husband said to me. So my husband is super easygoing, super easygoing, right? Um, has very few asks from me in terms of our relationship and those sorts of things, just really easygoing. He said to me one day, he goes, I can tell you're not happy. And whatever you're going through, when you feel like this, you're not really pleasant to be around. Wow. And I was like, that stopped me dead in my tracks because it was like, okay, not only was what I was going through hurting myself and my body, but now it was creeping out into my relationship and the relationship I valued most in the world, which at that time was my husband. So, you know, that was like, whoa, whatever, whatever's going on with me, I'm putting my, my relationship in danger. And that was a line I wasn't willing to cross. And so what I ended up doing is I remember having conversations with my boss at the time, fantastic person, mentor, friend, to this day. And I said, you know, I need to do something. Something's got to change. And I had um, done a little bit of research and had surreptitiously, the universe dropped in an idea for me that um, was to go explore a course in neurolinguistic programming, mm. which I had been exposed to from different, uh, different leaders in the past. 
And I went and I said, look, this, this is going to help me. And it's going to help me be a better coach. It's going to help me be a better leader. And it's, you know, that's going to benefit the business, right? Because I asked the business to pay for it. And um, as a development opportunity for me. And he agreed. And I went on this course. And it was this intense, week-long, 9 a.m. to 11 p.m., sometimes midnight days, super intensive course in neuro strategies that completely shifted my life. And I came out of that course going, uh, yeah, there was a lot of healing that started in that course. And at that time, um, I also had a, a dear friend who was going through their own journey and they were starting to build a coaching certification. They were on a path to, to become certified as a coach themselves. And they were looking for people to coach as part of their certification. And I said, sign me up because this, whatever this is, this exploration is working for me and I want more. And so I started working with that person. And uh, again, you know, as a favor to them as they were building their certification, but certainly I was getting value out of it. And it wasn't long um, before I went to them and said, look, okay, I need to start paying you. (laughs) (laughs) because I'm seeing a change. I'm seeing a change, you know, and it was like, no, 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 there's something here. And it it was in particular, the premises that were underlying her coaching practice and the way that um, she viewed the world and what I was learning. And, And it was, that really started me on the journey to reconnect because what I, I realized was who I was, I'd gotten off that path I'd taken a turn, a detour somewhere, and I'd forgotten all the things that I knew to be true. And so going through this, this, these explorative workshops and learning these new premises and starting to practice them in my life helped get me back to the truth of who I was and what I believed about the universe. And um, so, yeah, that, that sort of started that journey again, but, but really if, if, if I could pinpoint it, it's, it's when my reality didn't align to who I believed I was Mm. and the way that that got reflected to me, you know, whether it was feedback from my team at work or feedback from my body or feedback from my husband, I was getting feedback in my world that didn't align with who I thought I was. And that caused me pain. And that was, you know, that pain got to a point where it was like, okay, that's it. No more. This is my rock bottom. Something needs to change. And that's when I made those choices. Gosh, I love that. That's all so beautifully shared and, and explained. I love what you just even ended it with right there is that if the feedback, if we're open to it, if we can even just see a glimmer of what we know from our body, from other people, from our coworkers, from our, our family members, they will they will reflect back to us in their own way, what they're experiencing of us. And I love that a big part of this for you was recognizing, Oh, what I'm seeing in that mirror that they're reflecting back. Isn't, I don't like that. That's not what I want to be. It's not who I am. And um, that's really powerful. I think when we talk about midlife shifts and how do you know you're ready for a midlife shift, it feels like that's a really key element right there is pay attention to the input you're getting from other people and other experiences in your body and whether or not they align with you. Yeah, you know, somewhere and and forgive me whoever came up with this quote because I don't remember who who did, but it was something to the effect that the definition of pain or suffering or it might have been anxiety one or the other um is is when 
we are out of alignment with the truth of who we are, you mm-hmm. know, and that's, that's what was going on. And those are the ways that I was able to identify that, you know, I, I work with people who are out of alignment and have spent the bulk of their life that way. So you created a shift in your life in order to realign to the truth of who you were. Talk to me about, if you're you're willing, if you don't mind, some of the most impactful and unbelievable results you've created as a a result of shifting so that you are more aligned to to your own truth, to yourself. Yeah. What have you created? Oh, gosh. So I'll just go in chronological (laughs) order. It'll help me remember. I think the, the first thing I created was owning myself as an artist and calling myself an artist. So for anybody out there who has experienced this, you'll, you'll know what it is when you, you have the creative desire to express yourself creatively, but you don't feel like you're worthy of calling yourself an artist. Um, that's where I was in my life and where I had been, you know, and I'd been doing art since I was, as long as I can remember, but I could never allow myself to call myself an artist because I wasn't formally trained. I didn't go to art school. I didn't think I was good enough. You know, I wasn't in galleries. I wasn't blah, 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 put in all the definitions. So the first, the first thing I did was change my definition of myself and owned myself as an artist, which allowed me to unlock not only more creative expression, but to go after things like, showing my art in a gallery, like uh, working with other artists um, in a shop where I used to show and sell my art Um, and uh, starting to do art workshops again, like I used to way, way back. So that was really the first thing was really unlocking that for myself. And that just unlocked a huge amount of joy that of course spread into other parts of my life. That was the first thing. The second thing was um, I'd had this vision for this country home. It was, it was a home connected to the flow of nature. And so my husband and I picked up our things and bought a house in 30 days in Bastrop, Texas and moved to five acres. And it, it was just this really beautiful, magical place where we created a space for ourselves that was connected to nature. And we built an art studio from scratch. And um, that was just another incredible creation. And then, you know, around that time, it, it, I also got to a point where both myself and my husband owned that it was true for us to become parents. And so I got pregnant and we had a baby and that journey in and of itself was, I mean, talk about all the stories that we tell ourselves and all the conditions that we think need to be true in order for us to have what we want. I was 48 years old (laughs) and I got pregnant and had a baby, you know, um, granted we had help, you know, we used a donor egg, um, and, and had the help of some really amazing doctors and, that was incredible. And I'll always be eternally grateful and will always welcome into our life. Um, the woman who helped us do that. Um, so that, that was a really, really big thing. And then, you know, throughout that, I, I quit my corporate job and started my own business and, am 
living my life day to day according to the metrics, those spiritual guideposts, like we've talked about, um, that matter to me, you know, am I, am I joyful? Am I inspiring others? Am I living my truth? And I've crafted my life around that. And, you know, yeah, the, the next thing on the horizon for us is, is to build our home from scratch, our next home, you know? So in between, there have been all sorts of things I've, I've created in between. I mean, the house that we bought here, we bought in the middle of the pandemic in a market that was just ridiculous where people were paying and are still paying tens of thousands, if not more dollars over asking. Um, you know, we bought a house for asking and closed in 30 days, you know, and with our first offer, uh, on the first house that we put in. So it, it, stuff like that, right. That, um, just seems to come effortlessly when you take a step back and look at it, but some pretty, those are like the big ticket things, right. Um, that I would, I reflect back and call the big ticket things, but so many countless small things in the way that I live my life and how I show up for myself and my family and my husband and changes in my body and how I, my relationship with my body is completely different. My relationship with money has changed. And boy, has that served me. And not just literally in terms of the financial implications, but just the reduction in stress and energy that I was putting into all this angsting about money, that has really shifted for me. Um, so yeah, there have just been so many big and small things that have come about in that time. And, you know, really we're talking what I think 2015 was when I went on that neuro strategies course. So, you know, it's 2021 now, almost 2022, five, six years. Yeah. It hasn't been that long. No, it's amazing. Cause I know, you know, we haven't talked a lot about it on the show yet cause it's still so new, but we, I know from the work you do, because I do the same kind of work, these creative principles are what make all the difference. And when I, uh, applying creative principles and premises is, is a really powerful skill. And when I listen to your story, I hear, I just want to call out a few things that I hear from that is one of them is that you talked about calling yourself an artist was one of the first shifts that you created. And for me, what jumps out about that is just the power of words and thoughts, right? And so I don't know if you've ever heard, I don't know where it comes from or who created or whatever, but there's this thing that says, watch the watch your thoughts, they create your words, watch your words, they create your actions, watch your actions, they create your behavior, your behavior creates your um, destiny or something like, like there's this whole yeah. chain of things yeah. and it all starts with words with thought, thoughts are just silent words, right? But with words, because they're symbols of our beliefs and our feelings and all that stuff. And the simple act of saying out loud what you want. I am an artist. That, that is who I am. It's what I want. It's how I'm being in the world. It's how I show up. That act is the first step in creation. There's a thing that says that creation happens in two steps. It's the thought and then the deed. You yeah. have to think of something in order to go then and try to manifest it and create it. And just this, the, that act of, I don't want to say simple because it's powerful and it's sometimes very hard to name who we choose to be and how we choose to show up in the world. And the act of calling yourself an artist, of speaking the truth of what your soul is, shifted everything for you. Yeah. It shifted how you expressed yourself and yeah. showed up in the world, which changed your experiences, which shapes your stories, which then affects your thoughts. And like it, it's also interconnected. And so... Um, yeah, I just want to call out like naming what you want and who you are 
is powerful stuff. Yeah. And the definitions, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, how we define ourselves, you know, and yeah. we use words to do that. Yeah. Um, but shifting, you know, you make up the definition yes. so you can make up a new one. Yeah. And I think it's really important too, that you made it up. You decided for yourself what that was, right? It's so easy in our world yeah. to get into, well, what other people think I'm an artist or do I have the right to call myself an artist or what really is an artist? Well, how am I using, you know, there's, it's so easy to get mired in all of that muck, right? Yeah. As opposed yeah. to just this is my spirit speaking to me. I am an artist. There's a, there's a line, one of my favorite shows it ever at all time. You should absolutely watch it. Whoever's listening to this podcast is West Wing. It's a, a TV mm. show series. And there's an episode where one of the characters is talking to a uh, Nobel laureate uh, in, in poetry. And, um, and she says to him, she says, I write poetry, Toby. It's how I show up in the world. Mm. And it just Uh, No, she said, it's how I enter the world. And it just lights me up to think about that. And for you, artistry is how you enter the world, right? It informs everything you do. And that small act of naming that out loud is so powerful. Um, The other thing that I love that you said is you said um, when you made these changes, it unlocked your joy. And Mm -hmm. I don't know how you think about this, but I think of joy as a primary sign that what you're doing is in alignment with the truth of who you are with Mm. your spirit because all emotions are signals right where we should pay attention to them they're not to be stuffed down if you're angry it's a signal of boundary has been violated Mm -hmm. amongst other Mm -hmm. things you know if you're scared it's a you know there's they're all symbols you should notice joy when you feel that when your spirit lights up it's because it sees itself it's like oh this is me I'm in this activity I mean I exist here like yes right it's like joy gets it is your spirit getting excited and I think that's a really powerful thing to notice is that when you were in alignment you felt joy yeah absolutely absolutely and yeah yeah I think it's the you know quintessentially most emotions devolve into one of two things, joy or fear, Mm. you know, um, one might say love and fear, but you know, the expression of love is often joy. So it, uh, yeah, absolutely. Mm. That's, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that stuff. So, okay. So I want to ask you one other thing though. So where are you continuing to shift in your life? Like you've been doing this work now, you said for about five or six years, that's when you started. So you started your midlife shift about what, 45, would you say? Is that doing your age, right? Let's see in 2015. Yeah. I would have been 45 in 2015. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you've made a lot of shifts and a lot of changes and not just, I always like to point out with the, with the work that I do with my own clients is that it's the shift is not what you think it is. Like your shifts, the obvious ones are like, oh yeah, you got a new job and you moved homes and changed the state you live in and all this stuff. You had a baby. The shifts are so much deeper than that, right? Oh, it's yeah. a shift in like yeah. mindset and methods and awareness and, and the way you show up in the world and yeah. And the amount of joy you feel and how you even measure things like the shifts are so much more, um, it's like aftershocks on an earthquake, right? They just keep coming and keep coming. And so what I want to know is what are you continuing to, how are you continuing to shift and what ways do you shift these days? Yeah. So I, I think the thing that's coming to me is this idea of definitions, you know, continuing to redefine myself in a way that's aligned to who I am in my, in my truth and um, catching myself when I'm defining myself as anything other, you know? So continuing, and the reason why I say continuing to redefine is that 
you know, taking the opportunity to reflect back and go, what, how am I defining myself right now? What no longer serves me? What definitions no longer serve me? And what's the the real truth and choosing to embrace that and, and let other things go. So it's this, this continual process. It's what we do in the learning and development world, right? Where we, um, it's the learning orientation where you are consistently doing retrospectives around, you know, what, what has this last six months been like for me? Or what has this last week been like for me? You know, what, what doesn't serve me any longer that I can let go of? And, you know, where do I want to put my focus next? And, and continuing to, to do that is how I'm continuing to create those shifts. And, you know, it's hard for me to say, yeah, I'm, I'm, my next shift is going to look like X, Y, or Z, because I have no idea, you know, it, six years ago, if you had asked me, Tracy, do you see yourself being a parent, owning your business and living in New York state? I would have gone maybe New York state, but hell no, you know, (laughs) no, what, you know, and, and even, so I know better than to, uh, than to make any specific estimates about where things will be in any, any amount of time, but I do know what I would love in my life and continuously, checking in with that and exploring what that looks like and allowing that to unfold in the way that it's meant to going back to what I said earlier about being a teacher, you know, when I was eight years old and somebody asked me that question and I said, you know, I don't know what I want to be, but I could see myself being a teacher. Maybe at that point in life, that looks like in, in an, an elementary school and academia, and maybe another point it looked like maybe being in college. Now it looks like this, right? So continuously reflecting back who I am, who do I want to be? What's true? What do I want to create? And then allowing everything else to just unfold is how I'm continuing to make those shifts. I love that. I love that. There's so much beauty and personal power in allowing for evolution and mm. for the unknown, mm. right? To just like, yeah, I don't know who am I? I love, I love that you didn't say it like this, but like, who am I to predict what's coming next? Right. Other than just to say, I follow my spirit and where my yeah. spirit leads me, as long as I honor that and let the, and let things unfold from there, it's all going to be okay. Right. Cause it's all just part of your journey. Exactly. Um, exactly. Wow. All right. So what, what advice would you offer to people who may be ready for their midlife shift, their own midlife shift? Like, what would you say to them other than mm. all the amazing stuff you've already just said? And I feel like the last little bit of just like stay connected and let it unfold is probably the most <laughs> profound thing, but like, let's see what else is in you. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, hmm. what I would say to someone who is, who feels like they're ready for their next midlife, midlife shift is yeah, don't, don't allow yourself to get root bound. Mm. It let it, it tease out the roots, you know, look at the stuff that might be holding you back and throw away the container, the old container that doesn't serve you anymore, which old definitions, old ways of working, um, whatever it is, get rid of that container and allow yourself to flourish in a way that's true for you. Let go of the how and, and be open to the possibility. 
I love that. Love that. Thank you. Okay, so we're done with that part of the conversation. But I always I want to end with one sort of off topic question. And the thing I want to know from you is, what is the next adventure you want for yourself? Like, I don't know, is it travel? Is it a cooking class? Whatever? Like, what are you wanting to try something in your life now? Oh, let's see. Um, you know, I, I want to create a farm. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so I have this vision. Um, when my husband and I talk about building our, our home, it's part of this broader farm where we have animals and we grow things. And he is a gardener by nature and at heart. And so I'm learning more about that. So, you know, learning more about caring for and growing things um, is really where the next, the next adventure is for me. I've always had a really strong connection and tie to animals. So that just feels really natural. Um, but yeah, exploring, exploring what that looks like and what that feels like. It's almost like my, my next adventure isn't some outward expression. It's, it's more deeper connection. And for me, it's deeper connection to nature. I love that. So to the people who are going to be listening to this, they, they can't see your face, obviously, right? But you are lit up with joy. Like you can <laughs> see the joy on your face and just the possibility of, it's not even the possibility, it's like letting yourself identify your dream, expanding on what that looks like to you, steeping yourself in like, that's going to happen, right? Like it just, your face is light up, lit up mm -hmm. with joy and it's mm -hmm. just beautiful. Oh, thank mm. you. Thank you. So, you know, there's... Um, I feel like as we wrap this up, it's so obvious to me that there's so much truth in knowing that at any point, not truth, excuse me, well, there is truth, but power in knowing that at any point in our choosing, we can create whatever it is we'd like in our life, including whatever, however we need to shift ourselves to have what we want in our lives, right? Like to make room for that. And, um, and I think your story is such a beautiful example of how naming what you want and allowing for possibilities and applying some creative principles is just, it's so simple. It's like a simple bread recipe or something, you know what I mean? Mm. But it's so powerful. And uh, I thank you for, for sharing your story with us. My pleasure. My pleasure to be here. Thank you, Suzette. Yeah. As always, I, I just enjoy your spirit and your energy and always look forward to the opportunity to have any conversation. So thank you. Oh, you're so sweet. Here. I love it because this feels like we're having coffee as we're chatting and it feels <laughs> like I'm in your living room and we're having one of our most amazing chats. And I love that. Mm. So thank you. Awesome. Okay. Well, that wraps up our conversation for today. Um, I want to thank you, my guest, Tracy Loring, for being here um, and for sharing your inspiring story with us about your own midlife shift. Um, it makes me always so motivated to continue my own shift when I hear stories like this. And I'm grateful to have friends like you to do life with. For those of you listening, if you love this conversation as much as I did, I want to encourage you to learn more about Tracy. Um, check out her podcast, Creative Musings, where she talks about more cool things like this. Um, there's a link in the show notes along with other ways that you can connect to her. Um, and I think that is it for today. If you enjoyed this show, come join the ongoing conversation that we're going to have about it in the Facebook group and share what resonates with you. There's a link in the show notes for that group. Also, please share the podcast with your friends and subscribe so you don't miss a thing. Thanks for listening to the Sparkable Moments podcast produced by Purple Chicken Life and shared through the Flitter Sphere. 
I'm Suzette Conway, and you can find me at flittersphere.com. Remember, you deserve to have your most vibrant life, and the world needs the highest version of you. Those two things are related, and they're worthy of your attention because you are the only one who can create the life your soul craves. And when you do, everyone around you benefits. So go on, be vibrant.